The work hours for a professional working in athletics can fluctuate. That is why the University of Cincinnati Online designed a Master of Sports Administration program that is both flexible and 100% online. Connect and build relationships with other students, alumni working in athletics, and their experienced staff. The best part? You can graduate in as little as one year. Unsure about going back to school? UC Online has a team of student success coordinators ready to guide you from start to graduation. Reach out today and learn more about UC Online. Go to online.uc.edu. Look under master's programs and find the master in sport administration. One more time, go to online.uc.edu. Look under master's programs and then find the master of sport administration. I'm not the founder that will build the next great mattress company because the margins are great. I believe in passion and mission. And if we do the right thing for our kids, the right thing for our customers, the right thing for our communities, our results will take care of themselves. People want to feel like what they're doing is important, meaningful, impactful. There's diminishing returns on salary. Not to say we don't pay market and you know, blah, 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 blah. But I believe it's bigger than that. This is the Work in Sports Podcast. Here's VP of Content and Engage Learning at WorkinSports.com, Brian Clapp. I have three kids. Each one of them plays sports, act in plays, and participate in various clubs. And what that really means is, every two weeks or so, one of them is coming home with the opportunity to buy magazines, cooking equipment, candles, t-shirts, whatever, in the spirit of fundraising for their program. Lucky for all of our close friends and family, they also get emails begging them to buy some new product to support the girls field hockey team, the boys soccer team, and the production of Willy Wonka Jr. More often than not, my wife and I say something like, yeah, glad to support, of course, but can I just Venmo you some cash and skip the junk? Let's think of this from a business perspective. If the Palisades High School girls field hockey team is selling magazine subscriptions to raise money for new goalie pads, for each $30 magazine subscription sold, some percentage of that $30 goes to the publication house, goes to the magazine creator and provider. The team may only see, I don't know, $8 of that transaction. So a lot of effort getting put into it, not a lot of money coming back to the school. Is this the best model? been around for decades. We've all done it, but is it the best model? That's the question today's guest, Cole Morgan, CEO and founder of Snap Raise, asked himself. A former college quarterback, Cole was all too familiar with fundraising to support programs. But this model to him seemed broken. Like all great entrepreneurs, Cole didn't just sit around thinking, this stinks. He said, I think we can do better and I have an idea. SnapRaise is changing the fundraising game, creating an effective and powerful process to raise money for programs and have the vast majority of the funds raised go to the actual program. Novel idea, right? Since 2014, they've helped teams, leagues, groups, and clubs raise over, wait for it, $502 million to support their programs. It's a product story, and an entrepreneur story, and a student-athlete story, all wrapped into one that my guy Cole Morgan is here to tell you all about. 
Cole, this is really exciting to talk to you. I love talking to entrepreneurs and co-founders. There's so much interesting things that happen in the in that space and in that journey. So I'm really excited to talk to you today. Thanks for jumping on this, this conversation. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be here. So before we get into how you got where you are, let's dig back into the why. Uh, I'm a firm believer that the best innovation comes from people that live or experience a problem, identify it, and then come up with a solution. Help the audience understand a little bit what SnapRaise does and how you got here. How did you become inspired to fix this problem of fundraising in youth and high school sports? Yeah, so, so SnapRaise is a group-based crowdfunding platform. We help uh, raise money for teams, groups, organizations uh, that are fundraising for a common cause. So it's not individual-based fundraising like other platforms that exist. Uh, it's team-based, so team or group-based. So uh, if you're raising money for anything in your community with a large group of people, there's typically transparency, oversight, accountability, visibility that needs to happen within uh, the way that you raise money, and that makes us really unique to the market. Uh, how I got into it or why, um, as you can see from the background, I like sports quite a bit. Yeah, I got that vibe a little bit. Those are my third-grade trophies, by the way. They're not actually like, you know. You won a lot in third grade, man. Congratulations. Third grade was a good time. That's when you I was like a six-foot-tall third-grader. So, (laughs) Uh, Full beard, too? Full beard? Anything? Yeah. Um, (laughs) So I was uh, was selling discount cards and cookie dough in eastern Washington after I got done uh, playing football at, at Washington State. And I walked into a coach's office who was a friend of mine. Guy I cared a lot about, reminded me a lot of my high school coach. Um, and I walked in and he had a playoff game and I was there to um, ball brush his footballs. And if you've never seen a ball brush, I keep the ball brush in the office. Um, you got it handy. I like it. Yeah, it's a, it's an important part of the story. It's just a, it's a reminder that we were kind of bored out of, you know, servitude, right? Um, yeah. But uh, I walked into a coach's office who was a friend of mine, and I was there to ball brush his football. He was playing O'Day High School uh, in a playoff mm-hmm. game. I went to Ballard High School. These are Seattle schools. And so oh, I, yeah. I wanted I know. to well, make sure he had, every, he had every advantage possible. I was volunteering my afternoon. And uh, what he saw when I showed up was not someone that was there to help his team and, and care about whether, you know, their kids. He saw a guy that was trying to sell them cookies. And he forgot that I had called him a couple days before. And he said, you're a lot better than what you do for a living. Uh, my kids and my coaches love having you around, but we hate why you're here. Uh, you should figure out how to change it. And so it was just, a, honestly, it's just not, so how the whole thing happened is just, I wanted to help these coaches and kids. And I realized that like what I was doing and the way I was doing it was actually burdensome. Um, yeah. and, you know, in the old traditional fundraising model of selling beef jerky and, and, oh, yeah. you know, and things like that. So that, that's how it started just out of servitude and, and wanting to help, um, you know, save these coaches time um, and give these kids a better experience so they could spend more time on the field with their coaches. I love that moment though. I love being able to track back to an inspirational time. Like that was a, that was a turning point for you to have somebody look right at you, somebody you respected and say, you're better than this. Like that had to be hard, but it's, it's pretty impressive that you did something with it. I, uh, I am very altruistic. Uh, I do not believe that a coach would tell you anything that wasn't in uh, your best interest. And so, you know, when he said that, I was like, well, he said that because he cares about me as a person, um, not because he's being critical of me. Right. And so I thought, well, how do I fulfill that? And how do I be better? Um, How do we be better? How do we make something better? And so it it was Rob Bartlett, University High football coach. It was Tuesday. Uh, Like, you know, I know it. It's, it's ingrained in your memory now. It's part of your, 
your story. Uh, yeah. Okay. So we've all been there. I have three kids. We're fundraising constantly. It feels like for sports, for art, for theater, whatever that is. I mean, honestly, we're always seem to be selling things or peddling things to family members that are things they don't really want that end up they do out of obligation, right? Like you said, cookie dough or candles or something. It feels like it's always happening. So how, how does this actually look? How did you reimagine, how did you and your team reimagine this process so that when somebody you work with says, forget the cookie dough sale, we're going to go with Snap, what is that? What is it? What does it look like? So um, kind of a few things wrapped into that. Reimagined it in a way that um, I used to carry this metal wallet around. And kids would always ask me to support, you know, their fundraiser by buying cookies or, you know, whatever. And I never had cash in that wallet because it was just like a card wallet, yeah. right? Um, mm -hmm. And I thought, well, I love and care about these kids as much as anybody and their success. Like, you know, it's why I was, I was fundraising. And I thought, if I can't support them and I'm, you know, 25 years old at the time, um, What's because I don't carry cash. What's this going to look like for their future of sports? Uh, if you know people my age, like we're becoming a cashless society. So that was the first like real right. problems. Like I like I as a you know lover of of high school sports and athletics and and fine arts. Like I couldn't do it. How do I do it? Right. And so it was really just trying to solve like how the next generation you know, could fundraise and support students. And then I just started asking friends and family, how much cash was in your wallet? And I'd ask them this question. I'd say, how much cash was in your wallet? Who's asking? No, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would say, you know, it, it, I would say uh, if a kid came up to you and, and wanted your support, would you support them for their athletic, you know, for their football team? Right. And they would say, yes, of course. Then I would say, how much cash is in your wallet? And most people didn't have cash or had yeah. not enough to buy a box of cookie dough. Right. And so that was a problem, obviously, right? Because there's a disconnect. And then I would say, now, if you just had to, if somebody just asked you for your support and you could give however much you wanted to give, how much would you give? Yeah. And the number was always far greater than oh, yeah. cookie dough. And the number that you would keep would be far greater than what you would keep on a cookie yeah. dough sale. So you're not paying any, any product costs. Yeah. Yeah. So it was this combination of like cashless society Plus all these kids are walking around on their phone. So really once coach Bartlett kind of hit me in the head with it, he yes. really helped me pick my head up. See what, you know, realize what I was seeing in the hallways. Um, I saw a kid walk into a locker because he was staring at his phone. This was in like you know, 2009. It's like, yeah, there's something going on with these phones. Yeah. I think this is a future. I think there's a future with these phones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've had a captive audience. Kind of this, it was this amalgamation of all of those things that kind of brought, yeah. you know, the, the snap platform together. So, okay. You're obviously not in a competitor-less field. That's a tough word to say. Mm -hmm. uh, there's probably other competitors out there that you're dealing with. How do you explain when you go out there to the marketplace, what makes you guys unique in, in what I'm imagining? There's other online fundraising platforms, I'd imagine. Yeah. How do you guys differentiate and always kind of try to stay a, a step ahead? Where we fit is a really unique... So first of all, we've been doing it the longest in this space specifically right. with our yep. model. So we have both an inside and an outside team. Um, so we have, you know, over a hundred boots on the ground, people actually serving communities and we have another 30 in the office, uh, just on the sales and support side. So we have a real inside outside model that's, that's really different. And, and we've built it out of necessity to serve our unique users. Cause we work with coaches, kids, administrators, parents, you know, community members from all over the world that care about serving these kids. And there's a lot of people that have questions. 
They just, they need a lot of support. So how and why are we different is because we're built specifically and uniquely to solve the problem of group fundraising within schools, the oversight, the transparency, the accountability. It's just like, you know, I played quarterback in college. It's like, I just focused on playing quarterback. I didn't focus right. on playing quarterback and wide receiver. It's like, I just, yeah. did. so we, you know, applied that. It's just focus. No, it, it makes total sense. And the service that you bring to the, to the audience and they're and f- fulfilling their problems and needs is just, a, it's so important to have that focus. All right, before we dig deeper into Snap Platform, because I'm really excited by all of that and what it means to be a CEO, an entrepreneur and that whole side of the journey, let's look back at your history a little bit. You were a student athlete, played college football, played QB, as you mentioned, Washington State, Western Washington, Central Washington University. I'm a little, I mean, no Eastern, what, what you couldn't yeah. cover the whole state. So, so uh, nobody's ever really asked me this before. Um, and a lot of people, uh, yeah, I, my first scholarship offer was actually to Eastern Washington, uh, okay. from Tim Rosenbaugh, who was yeah. the, who was, who then became the quarterback coach at Washington state. So yeah. Washington Rosie, state legend. Tim yes. Rosenbaugh. Yeah. Rosie yeah. went from Eastern to Washington. State. So it could have very well been Eastern from the very beginning. There's also a shoreline community college in there for and ethnic you just wanted school. to get a taste of everything in the state. You know, yeah. you just kept moving around, doing your thing. That's how college yeah. sports work. Yeah. Okay, so let's dig into this. We have a lot of student athletes in our audience. Mm-hmm. I've interviewed a lot of student athletes that have become extremely successful in sports business. As you look back at what you learned as an athlete and what you need as an entrepreneur, CEO, founder, what do you parallel? What parallels do you see? What are those traits that kind of developed in you that still really serve you well today? Well. Before becoming a founder CEO, I didn't really know anything other than athletics, right? So what it taught me was I I would have to say pretty much everything. Yeah, taught me the value of team, the value of um, being goal oriented, the importance of communication, right? You know, um, I compare being at a fast growing startup to just in between plays as uh, playing quarterback, you're communicating with a wide receiver during a fast paced, hectic environment where in which you have multiple streams of information coming at you at the same time, you've got plays coming in, you've got people running in and off the field. Mm-hmm. You maybe made the wrong throw, the wide receiver maybe didn't give you the right indicator. Uh, how do you balance all of those things? And how do you give someone, this I think is the most important thing, where trust is extremely important. How do you tell that wide receiver, give me a better indicator on the option route that you're running Mm -hmm. without saying, without without trying to be critical, but you both know that you're only telling him that information because you want everyone to be successful, right? Right. But you've got to do it in like a two-second span. So Mm -hmm. the importance of trust, practice, relationship building, um, I, everything, I don't, you know, I guess <laughs> such a, such an important, but like you said, like setting others up for success is a big part of being a business leader too, is like, oh, you yeah. can't do everything yourself. So really being able to train up people, motivate them, lead them, get them ready for action. in is that that's the role of a quarterback and a business leader. It really does have a lot of crossover. The, the CEO quarterback thing, like especially the way that I played quarterback um, was... Dominating? Like that's how you played quarterback? You're just no, dominant. no, no. <laughs> I played quarterback in a way to just get the ball out of my hand as, fa- as fast as possible. <laughs> so more skilled. 
You know, that's really the way that I played it. And and I yeah. run the business in a very same way. I have, an, I have an incredible executive team and leadership team. And it's like, it's my job to do the things that I do great and get them, you know, put them in positions to succeed with everything else. Right. Okay. So you're, you're 25-ish or whatever you were. As a young student athlete, you're starting with this idea. Was it hard to get people to take you seriously or did it really help to have connections and network that you could get some initial conversations going and get some interest and some motivation in the early versions of what Snap could bring to the table? It was really hard to get people that didn't understand the nuances of fundraising outside of the school system or the sports ecosystem to understand why what I was doing, we were doing was important and foundational and like, you know, a real difference maker in schools and how we were really going to revolutionize fundraising and why it was important. That was really hard. Talking to coaches, getting into schools, networking from one to the other was relatively easy just because it was the environment I grew up in. I I also coached high school football right when I was done playing college football. So, you know, that, that honestly wasn't, wasn't terribly difficult. I felt really comfortable doing that. Yeah. So did you have like a network effect kind of early on? Like you started working with your own own sphere of influence, the people that you knew, the people you could get in with and talk with. And then as success started happening, it just started to grow and grow and grow almost by referral rate. Yeah. And and I think the the thing that I, you know, I and we all did really well that were some of our early salespeople was we asked for help often, right? So we would, you know, if we made a sale to a coach that maybe we knew that was friendly, we would say, hey, you know, Coach Smith down the hall doesn't know me from jump. Uh, would you mind walking me down there and help me make an yeah. introduction? So we asked, you know, we asked our coaches for help. We asked our early, our early believers, you know, to help us network into other parts of the school. And then we would network from, you know, in the school to then another school. And then once we, yeah. you know, once the company really started going, we built uh, processes around how to do this really effectively and, and rules and things like that about, you know, how you go from, you know, this coach to that coach. And when you ask to go from football, to band. And so we, we built that whole, build a playbook around that. It's so cool to see the success rate and how fast you guys have grown. It's a, it's a compliment to, I mean, it's not easy to start your own company. You identified a problem that needed a solution. You did something about it. It's a whole nother thing to have an idea and then actually execute it. Well, as you look back, what were those key moments that took Snap from good idea, good concept to successful business? Yeah. The very first fundraising campaign we ran was with Coach Bartlett at University High School. He had raised $1,900 selling cookies the spring before. And the very first fundraiser with Snap, he raised $7,000. <laughs> That's a good proof of concept right there. Yeah. Yeah. No kid, no kid went door to door, no cash was exchanged. So from the very beginning, um, it was them buying in, you know, it was our customers giving me and us a chance, you know, to, to help them fundraise in a different way. Um, when we really knew that we could scale it was when we figured out how to teach others, uh, you know, mm-hmm. other like new employees, new sales reps, how to sell and why, you know, why selling was uh, in the way that we sold, why it was so important. That's when I knew that we could we could really grow. How many employees do you have now? Oh, 230, 250, I think. I, I ask because it's when you go through a growth story and you start out with idea and then you're staffing, you're 
having buildings, you are setting up structures and processes and places. Like, how have you had to change from those early days to where you are now? What do you see and identify as the biggest changes within you as a leader, as a decision maker, whatever it may be? Yeah, I... There's actually, so at the beginning, it was really natural because it was creator, visionary leader, right? Uh, customer evangelist, you know, all, kind of all of those combination of things. But then it grew fast. And then it was like, wow, you have to be, and then you take on the title of CEO. And you hire people and they expect you to be the CEO that they, that they expect or that they've seen in a movie, yeah. right? Um, you know, man, woman, buttoned up tie, you know, I, that whole thing. Clearly that's not me, right? If you're watching this on <laughs> video. Um, so I think, I think what I had to learn was what I was really great at, how I got the right people in the right seats around me so that I could really build a team and what it meant for Cole Morgan to be a CEO, not to be a, what a CEO looks like uh, in a movie, I, th I think was the biggest thing. So I'm actually really, as I've grown, I've gone back to where my real strengths are which is grassroots, go-to-market, zero to six-month vision, and then 18 to 36-month vision, right? Um, so strategy, okay. like, you know, rolling up your sleeves, this, you know, that sort of stuff, I, yeah. I'm really good at. Um, it's the management layer in between that I'm not great at, that I don't really enjoy. I don't think it, it doesn't help our company. So where I've grown as a, as a CEO is like, I trust my team implicitly uh, yeah. to, to handle that. And I've got great people that do it. So I, th I think realizing, realizing you need people around you is I think probably the biggest growth moment. That, it's such an important thing and it, it probably doesn't get stressed enough. It's like just knowing where your strengths are and being okay with saying, I don't have to be perfect at everything. Yeah. I know where my strengths are. I know what I bring to the company and I know where I can delegate elsewhere. I, I don't think enough people think that way. So I think that's actually a, a really big compliment to you. Oh, thanks. I think self-awareness is probably my number one thing. I've always known those things about myself. It's just, uh, you know, yeah. you kind of had to like work your way to get back there. But I would say the people that I work with today and the people that succeed in our company are the most self-aware. Um, and I, yeah. And when hiring, that's, that's self-awareness and trust, th those two things. Okay. So let's lean into that because I had a boss once. He was actually my GM at Fox Sports Northwest. We were talking about this earlier, you and I. Mm -hmm. um, and he used to say all the time that when he hired people, he tried to look for people who had skills that were separate from his and that would fill areas where he wasn't as strong and that were actually smarter than him and would push him to do better. And it sounds like that's some of the self-awareness kind of concept there, right? Is like, I'm going to identify those areas where I need help and I'm okay with acknowledging that. Is that kind of your approach in some ways? One thousand percent. I mean, as simple as it is, like, you know, I played quarterback, not quarterback and wide receiver. Like you, you can't do it all. Yeah. Um, and you need people around you in order to move the ball down the field. You got to communicate. Um, but everybody's got to know what they're great at, uh, in my opinion, uh, in order for the team to succeed. Uh, it makes running the company easier. It makes when you present on what we call these fireside Fridays, you know, monthly monthly company calls, uh, when myself and my president have conversations, go, you know, going into the call, um, yeah. it's you know, hey Trev, this would be better if you say it, and Cole, I think you should say this. It's like nobody's fighting for a single thing, and it, it just 
And it's all because of self-awareness, I think. And, and, and that, I think that, that flows through our entire leadership structure. So I'm speaking more about myself and, and Trevor, but I think everybody's right. So you have a distributed workforce. I mean, you said you have people boots on the ground across the, across the country um, and your own staff in, in LA. Like what's your philosophy on staffing as far as this is what we look for across the board, not just executive level, but like this is what we want out of the people that we hire from, you know, cultural fit or certain skill sets that are highly in demand. Like what does it mean to work for Snap? What are you looking for when you're out there? Well, I would say our entire company is remote. So we have no staff in LA. Uh, we okay. Are, uh, some of our finance team is in Seattle. A lot of our engineering team is in Dallas. Uh, but we are a fully remote workforce. We're in every, um, we're in all 50 states. Uh, we have employees or representation. So um, yeah, we, we're fully remote. So what, yeah. what am I looking for? It, first and foremost, do you believe that, the, that our core customer is important? And our core customers are kids and coaches and school administrators and teachers. Do you believe they're important? Do you think that they deserve to be supported in a way that maybe they're not currently today? Um, does the mission of the business to support those leaders get you excited? Um, why are you here? What are the reasons you know, that you want to be at SNAP? That's, that's first and foremost. And then it's trying to figure yeah. out if you can, uh, humility, tenacity, um, those sorts of things. What's hiring been like for you guys? I know that there's been a lot of talk lately about the great resignation, people leaving, people seeking purpose. I would imagine, I mean, in some ways it might almost benefit you guys because I know a lot of people personally, they're like, I am tired of the crazy 70 hour work week where I'm just making more money for some some other, you know, big company entity. I want to do something with purpose. I want to feel value. Like, are you feeling like there's a, almost, um, when you go out looking to hire new staff, that people are motivated by what you're doing in the marketplace. And that becomes a core part of your, of your, you know, the pipeline of people coming in. I think so. I mean, we've had a lot of success hiring in the, in, you know, recent months as, as things have picked back up and schools have been back in session. Mm, yeah. You know, People want to feel like uh, what they're doing is important, meaningful, impactful. There's been yeah. studies that have done, and you know, the, there's diminishing returns on salary. You know, not to say we don't pay market, and you know, <laughs> blah 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 blah. Right. Um, but I, I believe it's bigger than that. Um, and I, we've had a lot of success. We've hired fifty or sixty engineers in just the last few months. Wow. Um, and that's you know, that's that's hard to do. Hired quite a few salespeople. Our retention, you know, we have not had the great resignation. Thank goodness. Our retention rates have been extremely high. We communicate with people open and honestly, and we talk to them about why our customers are important. And that's, we're really genuine in that way. And I think everybody feels that at Snap. That, so. that goes a huge way. We talk about it a lot internally, and I talk about it with a lot of other business owners and leaders in that those companies are struggling with retention struggle with culture, struggle with transparency, struggle with purpose. And those two things overlap. The fact that you are taking an aggressive approach towards your core purpose, everybody knows it, everybody's pointing in the same direction, and you're transparent in the mission and developing the culture that you want. Uh, that's why your retention numbers are high. That's why people aren't leaving. I think that's something to be very proud of. Well, uh, thank you. We, 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 have, we, have these, we have these OKRs that we set, you know, that, that Trevor, our president, you know, leads us and guides us on. We all work together on it. 
but we each, you know, each person takes a different, um, takes a different OKR, takes a different objective. And then there's different key results that fall under each one of those objectives. Um, I think it's John Doerr did the OKR. Sounds thing. familiar. Yeah. Yeah. My objective, and there's only four, uh, four or five, my objective for the year, uh, you know, we have like, you know, product differentiation, saturation within schools, you know, all like, you know, technical things that we have to do. But the one thing I get to talk to the company about is help more kids, period. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, when I get to, when I speak to the company, when it's my turn, when, when I'm speaking from a place of, you know, leadership within the, within the business, it's about, you know, did what we do today empower us to help more kids? Yes or no. Uh, and so I think that flows throughout the whole company. It's been, it's been great. I, it's right. I read that. I thought that was really inspiring that your goals weren't set on revenue numbers. It was how many kids did we help? And that's like those other things, revenue, success metrics, whatever flow from that. If your attitude yeah. is let's, let's help the kids. Let's feel like that's where our driving goal is. And then those other things will happen ancillarily ancillarily. I don't know if that's a word, but there'll be ancillary effects. How about that? That sounds better. Yeah. I think that's the right phrase I was looking mm -hmm. for. So that's a really impressive. That's a great way to carve it up rather than saying we have to hit this revenue bar, help kids, period. I mean, we, we have revenue goals, objectives, blah, 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 of blah, course, blah. Of course. I focus on the process. You know, if we do the right thing for our kids, the right thing for our customers, the right thing for our communities, our results will take care of themselves. Exactly. Exactly. I love that attitude. Okay. I'm really super appreciative of all your time. We'll finish up with this. We talked a little bit about staffing and culture and, and leadership. Uh, now put yourself in the role of mentor. If somebody comes up to you, one of these kids, you're at a fundraising, whatever it is, your boots on the ground, you're doing something. And some kid comes up to you and says, I'm so motivated by what you've accomplished. I'm a student athlete. I'd like to live, work in sports business. You know, what advice do you have for me? How would you kind of guide them? What would you kind of get? What kind of advice would you give them that could set them down a positive path? So personally, I wouldn't tell them anything. I'd ask them a lot of questions. Um, I'd say, what do you care about? What's important to you? Um, what interests you? What uh, gets you excited to get out of bed in the morning? And I'd try and help somebody distill to the core of that thing. And then we would start to work on, you know, like, well, where can you fulfill that? Uh, maybe it's, you know, maybe you think you should be a ticket salesperson for the LA Dodgers, which is a great job, but maybe you should actually... I don't know, uh, referee, youth sporting events. I, I, I don't know what that thing is, right? But like, I, I wouldn't give anyone initial advice. I would encourage them to talk to themselves, have an open dialogue with themselves about what it is that motivates them. Um, I believe that people are more successful uh, in their career path, and especially if they're looking to start a company, if it's something that they believe in. Um, I'm not the, the founder that will build the next great mattress company or, you know, or the entrepreneur that will build the next great mattress company because the margins yeah. are great. Right. I yeah. believe in passion and mission. And, and so my advice would be different than unit economic driven, I guess. No, it's so smart too. Cause I can see that in you. It's not about, I want to build something up and sell it then start something else, then sell it then start something else then sell it. This is where your passion lies. And I agree with you. I think that happiness metrics is like, the overlap in the Venn diagram between work and passion and happiness and all those, when they come together, it's like you want to cherish and hold it and help it grow. And, and, and that's, it's such great advice to just, you know, listen and ask questions and yeah. try to guide in that form. It's really cool. I, I had somebody, I had somebody reach out to me and 
he said, you're successful. Uh, I want to know how to do what you did. And I said, I'm more than happy to get lunch and chat with you about it, but we are not going to talk about success right. at all. We're going to talk about what motivates you. Yeah. Um, so if you want to do that, let's go grab lunch. And he said, no, nah, no, thank you. Actually. Oh, really? He said, no, thank you? Yeah. Oh, my God. No, That's so upsetting. Yeah, it's fine. We're done. It's fine. It's, it's fine. fine. Let's save each other's time. But like, I can't yeah. understand why somebody would be like, here's an opportunity to really narrow in on or zone in on where I'm passionate to have, have somebody help me walk through that that has figured out that for themselves. And they wouldn't take that because they're just only thinking success equals dollar signs or whatever it was for them. Gosh. I, I, I don't believe, I, I don't believe, and maybe you found this in your career. Yeah. I don't believe if you chase money, then you can ever really find happiness nope. because there's always more. Have you heard of Jeff Bezos? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. where are you going to go? You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, like, I mean, I think Snap's going to be a big, great, important, impactful business. Yep. And you know, hopefully we all have success and, and help a lot of people. Yep. Um, but it's it's rooted in mission for us, you know, for all of us, really. I think it's so important. I think you're right on saying salary has a diminishing return. There's all kinds of data proving it. And it's not that you don't want to pay market value. It's not that you don't want to uh, give your staff what they need. It's just also understanding that when you can align a good, comfortable living with upside, with something you're passionate about doing and makes you feel like you're making a positive impact. I mean, I went from being in the broadcast media to doing more. I, I go speak in colleges and try to help the next generation. I go do this podcast to try to give information to help others build their, their career path and figure out answers to the questions that they're wondering. That gives me so much more feeling of purpose than creating a 30-minute TV show. It just does. And so I'm happier in yeah. that regard. So when you find that mix, that's what you grab onto. And it sounds like you're doing that. Yeah. And your partner knows, your partner notices you're happier. Your kids notice you're happier. Your parents notice you're happier. Your community notices you're happier. I think it's really important. It is. That's great advice, Cole. Cole, I cannot thank you enough for coming on. It's so interesting to hear all the things you're achieving at Snap. I think that there's a lot of growth ahead. It's obvious. I've looked at a lot of the other uh, products you guys are launching. It's so exciting. So thank you for telling us a little bit more about your journey and how you got here, but also just kind of the, the foundation of, of Snap, what you're doing in the marketplace and why it, why it makes such a big difference. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you to Cole for coming on to the show. What I really love about that conversation is that it isn't just this entrepreneur story. It's this identification story of, you know, I saw a problem, I knew it was broken, I thought I could do something about it, and I did it. It's student athlete. It's product, it's entrepreneurial, it's marketing, it's growth. It's like all of those things wrapped into one and Cole's just a really good guy to talk to. So it's, it's, it's life-changing kind of stuff. And I mean that sincerely because he is making a difference out there. And the fact that they are basing their goals and their growth on things like impact rather than just dollars and cents, pretty powerful stuff, cool way to carve up your business. So congrats to Cole, the Snap Raise team and their continued growth. It's an awesome product that we should all keep an eye on, but... I don't know. Some cool opportunities there too. Could be an opportunity to work for a guy like Cole that that would be a lot of fun as well. Thanks for everybody for listening. I really appreciate you all being a part of this audience. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. It really does make a difference to us. We want to continue growing. All of you are massive contributors to that. So thank you for being a part of this community and just being a part of it all. I appreciate every single one of you.